In 2021, George Barna reported that over 75% of Americans opened their Bibles only once a month or less. According to Jesus, that is a recipe for spiritual devastation. Every time a guy said, you know, typically his eyes drop, he looks embarrassed, you know, and he says, yeah, I haven't been doing very well. And I always asked, tell me about your devotional life. And every single one of them, those guys that had failed and were falling back into sin, every single one of them had let their devotional life go after they left Pure Life. Hey, I'm Nate Dancer, and you're listening to Purity for Life. Since we began this show in 2007, we've tried to offer you the vital truths that will help you live a truly overcoming life. One of those truths is that a rich daily devotional life is absolutely essential for overcoming sexual sin. In our newest series, A Firm Foundation, we want to inspire you to develop a habit of loving God's Word, and we want to equip you to do it. That's what's coming up on Purity for Life. Here we go. In life, there are many things which are not totally necessary. There are things which we can take or leave. There are things which we can let go of when life gets too busy. There are things that we can lower in priority so that we can make other things more important. Now, let's be clear. Feeding on the Word of God is not one of those things. When Jesus said, Man shall not live by bread alone, but by every word that proceeds from the mouth of God. He was stating a spiritual law. We will not live without the words of God, not truly live. We might have physical life, but our spiritual lives will be in the process of dying. Jesus also used another metaphor to describe how vital his word is. He said that there were two men... And each of them built a house. One built his house on sand, and the other built his house on the rock. And the storms came, and each house was pounded by wind and rain. The house that was built on the rock stood, but the house that was built on sand fell, and its ruin was great. So let me ask you a pointed question Have you been trying to live without the words of God? Do you regularly neglect? the Word of God because you're too busy or too tired or just don't feel like it? If so, examine your spiritual house. Is it cracking under the stress of life? Are your walls breaking down under the storms of temptation? And if your answer is yes to that, then look no further than this. You have been trying to live without the Word of God. Okay, but... Now I want to speak more positively, because I'm sure that you've heard us talk on Purity for Life about how important it is to study the Bible. And in this series, we want to challenge you to make a commitment to do it. But more than that, we want to equip you to do it. So for the next three and a half months, we're going to unpack some of the treasure of God's Word just to get you hungry. And we're going to give you some helpful methods for studying 
And finally, we're going to point you to some biblical resources that we trust so that you can build a launch pad to start off on your own. All right? So without any further ado, let's get into the first episode of A Firm Foundation. Okay, so um, this is the first episode in a series that we're calling A Firm Foundation. And we really believe that there's something powerful in the Word of God, more than just nice truths or ideas or even just general wisdom, but something that if we live by this, that it'll build something inside of us that is strong and solid and can overcome um, the world. And I remember in my own life, before coming to the residential program, I never read the Bible. Maybe here and there, or, you know, I had a basic knowledge of it, but I never read it for myself. I never studied it. I was never hungry for it, and my life was a wreck. And I think that what my hope is for this series is that people who are listening or watching either on our podcast or on YouTube is that they would, from these episodes, see the value of this and make a decision that I am going to make this a priority in my life. Can I make a comment as to what you just said? Yeah. Going back to what you said about your own life before you came to Pure Life Ministries, you didn't see the correlation between the wreckage of your life and the lack of the Word of God. You weren't connecting those dots. Not at all. And most people don't, you know, and that is one of the reasons why we push this so hard, you know, and, and emphasize it so much is because we understand that the Word of God is part of that foundation that is needed for a life of victory. A life of victory up here doesn't happen without the foundation mm. down here. I mean, and that not that what Jesus said at the end of the Sermon on the Mount? These two men who built houses, well, the houses represent our lives, and both have to be built on the foundation. And, and Jesus correlated the victorious man, the house that stands, the storms, that man built his life on the words of Jesus Christ. That is the word of God. So that foundation, I mean, it is all through Scripture, really, but that is one of the places that really uh, mm. describes exactly what you're talking about out of your own life. Hmm. Yeah, and I think of one thing that you've talked about when you've gone out and connected with people who have graduated from Pure Life and whatever, and you've said that, well, you can just say it. Yeah, well, back in the days when I was constantly traveling, and so I was running into uh, graduates of our residential program, and I'd ask them how they were doing. Some were doing great, others weren't. And every time a guy said, you know, <laughs> typically his eyes drop, he looks embarrassed, you know, and he says, yeah, I haven't been doing very well. And I always asked, tell me about your devotional life. And every single one of them, those guys that had failed and were falling back into sin, every single one of them had let their devotional life go after they left pure life. Mm. And of course, so then they had no firm foundation. They had no power of God in their life. And of course, it's only to be expected that the same old lifestyle that mm -hmm. they lived before they came to pure life would just gradually reassert itself. And so they ended up back in the same pit they crawled out of before. Mm. 
Yeah, and I think, that, and one of the things that's in my heart for this series is that Purity for Life is a great resource, and so is our YouTube channel, and listening to pastors online is a great resource, but at some point, we need to go from riding on the shoulders of other people or being carried, you know, like little children, and begin to walk ourselves. Yeah, and that's exactly what I was going to mention, is those guys, going back to those guys who went through the residential program, and this is one of the dangers of that kind of a setting is the presence of God, I mean, you understand this, the presence of God is there at Pure Life Ministries. So you get guys who they're required to spend time with the Lord every morning, and they develop that, and they're walking with the Lord. Mm. But then they, they take it on themselves because it worked there, then they get home and um, they're just under that assumption that that's just going to continue. But it, it was in place because it was required of them. And then when they got home, they didn't require it of themselves. Oh, okay. And then everything fell apart mm -hmm. and their lives became a wreck just like what mm -hmm. you experienced. Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. So in this first episode, I wanted to cover two passages of Scripture, uh, Proverbs 7 and 1 Corinthians 10, verses 1 to 13, because I thought that they, it seemed like they were both kind of making the same point, and I thought that it's almost like what I heard in both of these is God's loving warnings to us. Mm -hmm. Don't do this. Don't go down this road. And so I, I guess I just wanted to have you open these up and give us some insight into what's being shared in these passages. Yeah, so in, in anticipation of our talk here today, I spent some time looking through these passages. Of course, I've studied them in the past deeply, but uh, just spent a little time refreshing myself. And um, as I was going through 1 Corinthians 10 this morning, I was reminded that really there's two different things going on here. And that's what you have to understand with this passage in 1 Corinthians 10. So the first thing is that um, chapter 10 verses 1 through 12 is making a point. But actually it goes back to the previous chapter. So let me say it this way, 924 to 927, Paul is making a point. And then you could put parentheses around verse 1 to verse 12. So if you just read it 24 to 27 and then skip right to verse 13 mm. in chapter 10, that's what Paul's saying. But he went on his, this kind of rabbit trail in verses 1 through 12. And let's just talk about that a little bit yeah, first. Yeah. Because it really is, it's like there's two arguments going on here that all culminate in verse 13. Okay. So let, let's talk a little bit about 1 through 12 first, and then we can look at the other point that he's making here, okay. which really does, the second point will um, correlate very nicely with Proverbs 7. So mm. I'll take okay. this one first. Okay. So Paul says, For I do not want you to be unaware, brethren, that our fathers were all under the cloud and all passed through the sea. Now, obviously, he's talking about the Jewish people during the time of Moses. They were under the cloud. That is referring to the Holy Spirit, the mm. pillar 
and all of that, mm. um, the pillar of fire, the cloud, that is the Holy Spirit, all passed through the sea, that's the Red Sea, and that is, we would correlate that with the born-again experience. Mm. You know, they came out of the life of um, subjection, slavery, and all of that, and they come into a new life with God, into a relationship. Mm. And it says in verse 2, And all were baptized into Moses in the cloud and in the sea. And all ate the same spiritual food. So um, Paul is relating this to a spiritual experience because this isn't just a carnal thing. Oh, yeah, they got some food to eat because they were hungry. Mm. No, it's much deeper than that, as, as we'll see here. Mm. And all drank the same spiritual drink, for they were drinking from a spiritual rock which followed them, and the rock was Christ. That is an astounding statement, you know, that people don't really think much about. But that rock, that Moses hit that rock and water came gushing forth, providing the water of life, if you spiritualize it, providing the water of life to these dry and thirsty people. And um, that it was Jesus Christ himself who was there with them, walking them through the wilderness. He was the one. I mean, you could even argue that it was that pillar of fire was Jesus. Hmm. I mean, it could possibly be taken that far. But anyway, we'll just let that aside. Nevertheless, with most of them, now really this is understatement. This is really understatement because there were only two, what was it, a million people or maybe 600,000 Jews, only two were found pleasing to the Lord out of mm. all of them, two, Joshua and Caleb. So this is kind of understatement. For they were laid low in the wilderness. That's how the NAS says it. But um, the Numbers passage, Numbers 14, 16, says they were slaughtered. That's the word that was actually used. And I don't know why Paul made it so pretty and nice, <laughs> you know, but it was actually, they were slaughtered mm. in the wilderness. Mm. And he says here in verse 6, is very interesting. Now, these things happen as examples for us so that we would not crave evil things as they also craved. And that is the word epithumia, um, the word we use for lust all over the place. And... Um, What's also interesting here about this, these things happened as examples for us. What Paul is doing here is bringing out the fact that over and over and over again throughout the Old Testament, what happened here is referred to by other writers. So, well, first of all, Moses in Deuteronomy 32 talks about this. He reminds them of what they did mm -hmm, and all of that mm -hmm. and brings um, spiritual lessons out of that. Nehemiah 9 does the same thing. Psalm 78 does the same thing. Mm. Isaiah 63 does the same thing. And then you get here, Paul is only one in a list of biblical writers who are referring back to this, and he's saying, look, the Lord allowed all this to happen. I mean, arguably, or at least as a secondary reason, that we would learn from this lesson that they experienced. Mm. Okay, so what was the lesson? That they failed the Lord and they were slaughtered in the wilderness. 
That's, you know, a lot of people find that hard to choke down because they want the, the God of the Old Testament to be different from the God of the New Testament. And, of course, God is the same. And dispensationalists make a, what I believe is they take it a little too far and say God's treatment of people then was different, but with Jesus Christ, his treatment of them is, is uh, not the same as it was in the Old Testament. Mm. That is at least partially true. Mm. I would only say that the basic tenets still remain the same. You either obey the Lord or you don't, you know, and that's what it all boils down to. And you can create doctrinal systems to try to get you out from under that, but it's not true, you know, and it's, it's, that is what Paul is saying is they were slaughtered. Well, let's just read on here and see what, what else it says. So he says in verse 7, Do not be idolaters as some of them were, as it is written, the people sat down to eat and drink and stood up to play. They just had an outright orgy, you know? Mm. Drinking, sex, all of it, that's what, it was, what happened. Mm. Nor let us act immorally as some of them did, and 23,000 fell in one day. Nor let us try the Lord as some of them did and were destroyed by the serpents, nor grumble as some of them did and were destroyed by the destroyer. That's probably the angel of the Lord. Now these things happened to them as an example, and they were written for our instruction, and that's the word nuthateo, which is what all of our counseling at Pure Life is built on. Uh, it's usually used as admonition upon whom the ends of the ages have come. Therefore, because of all this, let him who thinks he stands take heed that he does not fall. And this is the thing that uh, gets a little upsetting to me because people um, who want to advance their theories about basically I'll just say it, eternal security, mm -hmm. which we, we try to just avoid those debatable issues at Pure Life. You know that, and, and I don't want to get much into it. I'm just going to say be very careful because um, Paul is warning Christians, New Covenant Christians right here, that they need to be where, how does he say it? Let him who thinks he stands take heed that he does not fall. Because the inference, which could not be more clear in this whole passage, is that God blessed them with spiritual gifts. Hmm. And he has blessed New Covenant believers with spiritual gifts. Hmm. But just because he blesses us with spiritual gifts does not mean we get a free pass. If anything, it means we are more culpable for what we have been given. And that was what was so upsetting to the Lord about the Jews in the wilderness is he gave and he gave and he gave and he gave of himself mm. and they would not obey him. That's really what it boiled down to. They would not obey. And you really see that in Hebrews uh, chapter 3 and 4 where they did not enter into the rest and it was for one reason. They would not obey the Lord. So that is what all of that is. And then that creates one of the reasons, or one of the explanations might be a better way of saying it, 
behind verse 13. No temptation has overtaken you, but such as is common to man. Hmm. And God is faithful, who will not allow you to be tempted beyond what you are able, but with the temptation will provide the way of escape also so hmm. that you will be able to endure it. And then he says, verse 14, Therefore, my beloved, flee from idolatry. Mm -hmm. So his first point in dealing with temptation is be warned. Be warned. I mean, it couldn't be more clear. It's serious. Do not think that you can just lapse into open, brazen sin and walk away without facing God's judgment because that is what you will face. Mm. Okay, so I, I mean, I think that's a really clear explanation of what you called sort of the parenthesis, mm -hmm. that this is an example or an explanation that's being given about why we have to overcome temptation. How does that relate to what you said was the other purpose of the passage? Okay, for that purpose, then we have to go back to chapter 9 and get back in the flow of Paul's argument. And I should say also that 1 Corinthians is largely, and actually both Corinthian letters, are largely answering the accusations that have been leveled against him by certain people in the Corinthian church. Hmm. These carnal-minded people who are accusing him of all kinds of things. And so he's basically writing to refute all these accusations. So this, all of this is part of that bigger <laughs> right. train of thought, you know. But anyway, we're cutting into the middle of something here, but he does kind of take a turn here a little bit in verse 24. He says, Do you not know that those who run in a race all run? but only one receives the prize? Run in such a way that you may win. Everyone who competes in the games exercises self-control in all things. They then do it to receive a perishable wreath, but we an imperishable. Therefore, I run in such a way as not without aim. I box in such a way as not beating the air but I discipline my body and make it my slave so that after I have preached to others, I myself will not be disqualified. Now again, that is going to say that, and then let's just skip right to verse 13. No temptation has overtaken you, but such as is common to man, etc. Okay, so this, you know, you put all that 1 through 12 in parentheses, you go right from that to verse 13. Mm. So let me say a few things here about this passage. Um, this may not be exactly in order, but just as I think about things, he says here in verse 13, he says, who will not allow you to be tempted beyond what you are able. Okay, and um, this discipline that he's describing here is a lifestyle. Hmm. It's a lifestyle of godliness. In, in other words, Basically, the point that he's making, and I'll zero it down here in a second, but the basic point he's making is that your life as a believer should be a disciplined life. Mm. And if you don't live a disciplined life, the desires that are inherent in your fallen nature are going to get the better of you. And if they start getting the better of you, then what's going to happen is you are going to get yourself into such a pattern of life that you will be out of control. Mm. And getting yourself 
back in control after you've been out of control is doubly hard. Mm. You know, then it's just better to establish a disciplined life in the beginning so you don't have problems later. But um, I want to say here at the end of 27, I might, he says, so that after I have preached to others, I myself will not be disqualified. And that word for disqualified there is the exact same word that Paul uses in Romans 1 when he talks about God giving these sexual idolaters in chapter 1, giving them over to their lusts. Mm. It's the same word. You know, so Paul is saying, I discipline my body, even though he's had these powerful experiences with God, he knows he still has a fallen nature and he can't trust his himself. He has to maintain this disciplined life to continue walking with the Lord, walking in the Spirit, because if he does, if he goes slack on those um, spiritual disciplines, he is in danger of being given over to the desires of his own flesh. Mm. Now, Paul's desires weren't sensual. I don't think he ever really struggled with that. His desires were more along the lines of becoming self-righteous and nasty with people, looking down on others mm. and just a basic spiritual arrogance. So that would have been his flesh. But he that can send you to hell just the same as the other. You know what I mean? Mm. So what I would equate this 24 to 27 with Proverbs 7, if you just switch over mm -hmm. there real quick, and let me just read these verses. This is Solomon, of course, and talking to his son, Rehoboam, I guess, or, or maybe he's just talking to young men, I don't know. But he says, my son, keep my words and treasure my commandments within you. And that word treasure is actually means more like stores, like store up. Um, they used to call it stores. That's where we get the word store from. Oh, you know, yeah. Originally, it's we go. We think of it. Oh yeah, the grocery store. Well, back in the days when you lived out on a farm, you know, thirty miles from town with a wagon, you would store up. They were called your stores. You know, the stuff that you store up because you can only get to the town once a week or once yeah. a month or something. But it's that same basic idea mm. of storing something up inside, and that is that foundation that you referred to earlier. And he, again, he uses the word keep, which is often used, um, translated as guard. Mm. Keep my commandments and live. In other words, guard those commandments in your heart. Just like if you were storing up valuables like gold or mm. silver or something, you would you would make sure that they were guarded and carefully kept where no one could find them, you know, and, and protected. Keep my commandments and live. Mm. And my teaching as the apple of your eye or as the main focus of your life, really. Bind them on your fingers, write them on the tablet of your heart. Say to wisdom, you are my sister, and call understanding your intimate friend. Mm. And here's why, that they may keep you from an adulteress. And that is where we equate that to verse 13 in you know, 1 Corinthians hmm. 10. 
No mm. temptation has overtaken you. Well, what temptation? The temptation in this case with the adulteress. Mm. And I would say in our day and age for Christian men, pornography, which is basically the same thing. Yeah, I, th I think as I was going through it this morning, it was that word keep. And I, I saw this interesting correlation. My son, keep my words and treasure up my commandments with you. This is the ESV. Keep my commandments and live. Keep my teaching as the apple of your eye. Mm. And then if you do that, verse 5, they will keep you. Oh, from the forbidden woman, yeah, that's from right. the adulteress with her smooth words. Uh -huh. So it's like if we guard the word of God in our hearts, that will guard us from exactly what you're saying, that temptation that wants to overtake us. It's right there, crouching at the door. Yeah, you know, and we need a guard, and the word of God will be the guard. You know, it's another interesting thing there with verse two, and my teaching. That's actually the word Torah, hmm. Torah. Um, and I just have it written down, and so it's just interesting to me. That word is not found in the book of Judges. But that the last thing written in the book of Judges is everyone did what was right in his own eyes. Wow. And that is the exact kind of free-for-all, uh, loose living, unrestrained living that describes what the children of Israel did you know, when they gave over that whole orgy thing mm -hmm. that, and at other times too with the mm -hmm. Moabite women and stuff, um, that same lack of discipline, that same lack of control, it's the same thing. And so, yeah, that book of Judges, that's really what went on through that whole period of time. They've just come out of the wilderness mm -hmm. and defeated the other nations. And then they go lapse right back. They start going right back into idolatry and all that stuff. And it's back and forth, up and down, all the way through that period of the mm -hmm. judges. And that's so descriptive, so many Christians. Mm -hmm. You know, they, they're not really walking with the Lord. They're not keeping these commandments in their heart. Yeah. And they're just kind of at the whim of the enemy and their flesh. Yeah. And I think that's, I mean, the very beginning of Proverbs is sort of that whole point is like if you don't make a, a decided effort to listen to the Lord, to be reproved by Him, to receive His words, treasure up His commandments, then that's the only alternative. You will be driven by your flesh and the enemy and the world. Yeah. It's one, one or the other. Yeah. So can we go through Proverbs 7 a yeah. little bit? Yes, definitely. Um, so what he does, he in this, you know, chapter 5, he's making the same point. He makes the same point in chapter 2 and 9. In 7, he does it a little differently. Um, in 7, he creates a, this imaginary story, or maybe it's something he actually saw. I don't know. He kind of writes it like he's an eye, this is an eyewitness account mm -hmm. of something that he saw transpire. So I don't know if it's fiction or, you know, as meant as a, a parable sort of thing or if this was actually something he saw. But we can go through this. Um, so just like you were saying in verse 5, that they may keep you from an adulteress. Uh, the RSV has loose woman and New King James has seductress hmm. from the foreigner who flatters with her words. And that is literally strange woman. 
meaning she is estranged from the nation of Israel. She's a pagan idolater mm. from one of the you know Moabites or Ammonites or some other tribe, and that's who he's just using to describe here. Hmm. So the rest of the story here, he, as I said, he kind of paints the story of this young guy that walks by this woman's house. And, uh, you know, as one guy said, if you want to avoid the devil, stay away from his neighborhood. And that's one of the things I try to, I've always tried to teach men. You know, keep yourself away from anything that would lead you down the path into pornography. Hmm. Because... The internet also has its neighborhoods, right? And there's some neighborhoods that will lead right into that kind of thing. Like, for instance, gaming sites mm. often have ads in them to um, take people into pornographic websites and other stuff. I'm, mm. I'm not all that familiar with it because <laughs> I've never done it, you know. But, all right. uh, but anyway, um, so just kind of skipping through some of this story just to pull out a few things. Um, like verse 10. Now, this is a married woman. And so, and behold, a woman comes to meet him dressed as a harlot and cunning of heart. So instead of dressing modestly like a married woman you would expect mm. to dress, she's dressed like a harlot. She is out for one purpose. Mm. She is looking for a lover, you know. So she, um, that's what's going on with her. And then... Um, she is boisterous and rebellious in verse 11. That is really, let me just read this in a couple other translations. Mm -hmm. uh, amplified, she is turbulent and willful. Mm. The Living Bible says she was the brash, coarse type. Berkeley Bible says she is loud and lewd. Mm. And the Good News Bible says she was a bold and shameless woman. So using all these adjectives to establish something about what this woman is like, you know. And it's, it's really interesting how much strippers and prostitutes, sex workers, I could just say, tend to have a certain type of personality mm. that's very daring and reckless and pushy and ambitious mm. and also tend to be the sort of person who would be more susceptible to drug addiction and mm. alcoholism. You know, this just comes from years of, of studying these people that I, I can see the correlations with this stuff. So And um, the pornographers. And pornographers. Yeah, exactly. And, and I, um, I was going to say that this description also describes the demons that are behind pornography. Mm. You know, how brash mm. they are and brazen, raunchy, shameless. They come at guys, and I mean, they just throw it in your face. They will if they have the chance. Yeah. And then down in um, verse 15, it's just kind of interesting to me how she says, Therefore, I've come out to meet you, to seek your presence mm. earnestly, and I have found you. You know, and it's like, Anybody who would believe a prostitute when she says something, I actually, back in the day, I can vaguely remember someone saying something like that to me. Wow. And there was something inside me that wanted to believe her, that she actually was like, I, I was something special and different. It's just all it's just a yeah. lie, yeah, you yeah, know? Yeah. Yeah. And 
yeah, for him to buy into that it just shows what a fool he was. Mm. Uh, for him to believe that she actually would think that way, it's crazy mm. to think that way. So then, let's see in here in verse eighteen, let us take our fill of love. That is, you know, that is a description of being absolutely intoxicated with pleasure. That that is what that is describing. Let us take our fill of love. You know, let us just in, throw ourselves into it, indulge ourselves in, in pleasure. That's mm. what it's all about. Mm. And that's why, again, this, the disciplined lifestyle is so important. Mm. It's okay to have pleasures in life, the simple pleasures. God enjoys seeing his people in, enjoying simple pleasures, you know, going to a seaside or, or picnicking or whatever. Yeah. There's, there's a lot of pleasures in life that are perfectly innocent. But when you let that get out of hand, get out of control with, you know, obsession with entertainment and just just living your life for this stuff, mm -hmm. you are in danger because that is the very kind of lifestyle that leads down this path mm. into being obsessed with pleasure. And then it says in 21, with her many persuasions, she entices him. With her mm. flattering lips, she seduces him. And... Um, yeah, this is a seduction, and this is what the enemy is expert at, is seducing people who want to do the right thing. This is describing a young man who, um, hmm. it's arguable if he knows where he's going, that, hmm. that where she lives, and he kind of is maybe toying with temptation a little bit, or does he just happen upon her house? I don't know. Hmm. It could be either. But assuming the best, that he is trying to live a godly life back in that day, mm. um, but she comes on and she, her, her seductions are so overwhelming that he gets taken in by them. Mm. And it's like mm. the word suddenly in verse 22, it's as if there's been some resistance in him, but all of a sudden the dam breaks and he just all of a sudden he just goes for it. And that's typical of someone who tries to resist temptation, but once he gives over, then he just completely goes for it, you know? And that's what often happens for guys. Hmm. Uh, and then it, uh, as an ox goes to the slaughter, there's that word again, hmm. or as one in fetters to the discipline of a fool. So he just has been naive and foolish. He hasn't mm. thought through the consequences of where his path is taking him. And, you know, it says in verse 23, until an arrow pierces through his liver, as a bird hastens to the snare, so he does not know that it will cost him his life. Mm. And so that's typical biblical hyperbole, you know, taking, blowing it out to the furthest He's not going to die in that house. <laughs> right. And her house doesn't literally lead to hell, but that lifestyle does. Yeah, yeah, and that's yeah. what Solomon is trying to say here. Mm. So um, all of this, take it all back to treasuring God's word in mm -hmm. your heart so that when those enticements come your way, there is just a wall and, you know, you're not going to be pulled into that. Mm. Man, this is, this is just so good because I, th I think that 
not only, you know, I, I kind of almost saw it at the beginning as like, okay, here are the warnings, but this is also really describing the solution. And we're all like this by nature. We're mm -hmm. all like this young man lacking sense, <laughs> um, a simple person who doesn't have the capacity to see beyond right now. Yeah. And God is saying, my word will make you very different than that. My word will give you wisdom and change you from the inside. Yeah, so I guess that's the contrast, the man who's lacking sense versus a man who's got the word of God inside him. Mm -hmm. I guess that would be the contrast. Can you talk a little bit just as we close about your own testimony and, and how this became so important for you? Yeah, so what happened in my life was um, Kathy and I were trying to live the Christian life and trying to do the right thing, and the Lord made it very clear to both of us that we needed to have a devotional life. And this was at the end of, towards the end of 1984, I believe. And it was almost like we knew he was telling us to do it. The same thing I have said about when he put it on my heart, our heart, to get rid of the television set. It was the same thing. It didn't make any sense to, to us, but we did it because we really knew God was speaking to us. And it was the same thing with having a devotional life. The Lord was speaking to us, telling us to do this. And mm. we just blindly obeyed. Uh, is really what happened. And I remember where we lived in Sacramento when this all happened, and um, Kathy especially. Like, <laughs> I would go out back. Um, we lived out in the country, and there was just a little area, because I've even from the beginning, I always did prayer walks. It hmm. was just I couldn't just sit still and get my mind to function, so right. I needed to walk and talk. So I would be kind of walking in a circle, and not a very big one either. <laughs> and Kathy was in this little room. It was a, a little outbuilding. We were renting this place, and it was just full of, it was just a nasty sort of room. It was, I don't know what it was, but um, full of spider webs and stuff. And, and she was like out there freaked out about being out there, you know. And, but every morning, she went out there. She knew that's where she had to go to be with the Lord. Hmm. The Lord made it clear, and she had to fight through that fear thing. Hmm. I can't remember exactly what the fear was, but we did it. You know, we did it, and we stayed faithful to doing that. So then, that was it. Towards the end of '84, it was about that time. I had just gone into a time of really getting away from sexual sin completely. You know. And went several months, and then one day, it was like I got caught off guard, and I fell back into sexual sin. Of course, my time with the Lord was pretty insignificant in those early days. I mean, maybe it was 20 minutes total or something. Okay, okay. Yeah, I mean, it wasn't what but it But just became. had the habit, yeah. Yeah, but I did establish the habit. But I got caught off guard one day, and... Yeah, I was with the prostitute, and that was the last time. That was in um, May of 1985, hmm. and or was it April? But anyway, um, that was the last time. And then I, you know, I went on for months, and little by little, our time with the Lord was growing and becoming stronger. Mm -hmm. And and I didn't realize 
you know, I'm walking in freedom from sexual sin, from sexual addiction. I'm, I'm free now. I didn't realize that. It's just that I, I wasn't, really wasn't thinking about it. I was doing life and, you know, trying to walk with the Lord. Hmm. But after a period of time, I looked back and I realized, you know, I haven't fallen in sexual sin in six months or whatever it hmm. was. And I, and I could trace that back to what had started before that, that um, devotional life that the Lord basically insisted that Kathy and I establish. Wow. And we did, and, you know, the rest is history. Hmm. It's amazing. And now all these years later, how many have heard that testimony and said, okay, me too then, right? Yeah, and, you know, I should say this. Um, I talk about, like, I've said it many times from the pulpit and stuff, um, you know, I've, I went 30-some years, and I could count on one hand the times I missed my time with the Lord. And, and even those times were sick. I was sick or had to take an early, early flight or something like that. And I know that some people think I'm boasting, but that is not why I say those things. The Lord made it clear to me when I started Pure Life that my I was a pioneer in mm. this, coming out of pornography addiction, sexual mm. addiction. I was a pioneer, and he told me, you have to tell people what worked in your life, and you have to express it to them. Mm. And so that's all I do is I'm just trying to communicate with others. This is what I did. This is how I stayed faithful, and this is why I'm walking in victory and have for you know almost 40 years now mm. um, because of you know um, obeying the Lord and mm -hmm. doing these things. So I... Yeah, I'm not interested in boasting about that I uh, have been faithful in prayer and Bible study. It's just to help guys understand this is your path to freedom. Hmm. That's awesome. I think what I would like to do, because I mentioned that I'd like to challenge people to study with us, and if there are people out there who don't have any real devotional life. Like it's hit or miss, you know, they read a devotional when they feel like it sort of thing. Um, I think I would like to challenge people to start spending 15 minutes a day re really reading the Word of God, making that an absolute habit. Is that what you would recommend? Yeah, as long as it's also 15 minutes in prayer. Okay. You need both, Okay. you know, but yeah, the Word of God is absolutely essential. Yeah. And yeah, and maybe they could study whatever you're going to give them for that week, or mm -hmm. or that could be a, a separate thing. Okay. But they do need to get these habits absolutely established firmly in their life. Yeah, definitely. If somebody wants to study along with us next week, we're going to look at Matthew 9, 9 through 13, and Luke chapter 15. We're going to look basically at the heart of God for people who haven't done what he's said to do. Mm, yeah. And and how he calls us back to himself. So yeah, I've encouraged people to do that. Thank you very much, this was wonderful. Yeah, it was. It was a blessing to do it. All right, that about does it for this episode. Next week we're going to be studying Matthew chapter nine, verses nine through 13, and Luke chapter 15. I hope that you'll take the time to study it and then come ready to hear another perspective. God bless. We'll see you next time. Purity for Life is a production of Pure Life Ministries. 
For over 30 years, Pure Life Ministries has been the go-to for those whose lives have been devastated by sexual sin. Visit us on the web for more information about our life-changing counseling programs and powerful teaching materials. Also check out our video clips of men and women whose lives have been radically transformed. All that and more at purelifeministries.org.